In the early 90s, a friend of mine bought an apartment on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, very, very close, actually, to where my Eastern European ancestors lived about a century ago. And that community in the late 90s was actually undergoing a really radical transition from still some of those traditional Orthodox Jews and Eastern Europeans to a lot of young professionals like my friend who was moving in. Now, there were some signs that the transition wasn't always an easy one, but there were some people who tried to bridge the gap. Like, for example, there was a Russian restaurant in his neighborhood where I went to eat with him one night. And uh, they tried to kind of maintain some of the traditions, but spice them up a little bit, too. Like, for example, you know, Bellinis, you know, Bellinis, like little pancakes, little Russian pancakes, caviar, a big hunk of sour cream on it, delicious. Well, they did a version of this where there was, um, I want to say, five or six different colors of the caviar spread along and very artfully placed along the plate. Uh, you know, the old traditions and the new right next to them. Uh, now, this was years ago, so this is when I used to drink, although I'm done with that for quite a number of years now. Um, so if you go to an old school Russian place and you order vodka, uh, what you get is, is a bottle and as many glasses as people who are at the table. And basically it's drink up here. If you ordered vodka, you got a, a sampler, a, a very fancy vodka sampler of five different vodkas from all different places, American and Russian and Finland. And uh, they even had, which no really traditional Russian place has, they had a, a martini menu as well, vodka martini menu. And I think they actually had an apple teeny on there. So you can see that was definitely some of the new as well as the old right next door. So it was a good place. What I also really remember is that in my friend's building where he bought his apartment, you could really see the differences and the transitions. You could see it most especially on the Sabbath. Between sundown on Friday night and sundown on Saturday, normally in their apartment building, you see something like this. When you hop into the elevator, you see just simply, you know, the buttons, you press the one that you want to go to. However, on the Jewish Sabbath, the Orthodox observed Jewish Sabbath, because they still had people who lived there. It looked like this. If you can see that almost all the buttons are pressed automatically. It was like that 24 hours during the Sabbath. Now, some of you might know why, which is that on the Sabbath, according to the traditional understanding of Jewish law, you are not to engage with any form of modern technology. Now, this is kind of a case of, I think, religiously having your cake and eating it, too, because what you would do or if you were a Orthodox Jew who lived in the building is you would be able to hop on to the elevator going up or going down and eventually they would stop at your floor. So you would not depress the button technically, but you could still engage with modern technology. I am not convinced by this form of having our cake and eating it too. The Sabbath to me isn't about getting it technically right. Any Sabbath. It's not about observing some idea of purity. It's not about the letter of the law. It's about the spirit of the orientation of the heart that invites us to live in some different ways. There's versions of this, not just in Orthodox Judaism, but in all traditions where really it's the outward ritual that matters, but not the inward motivation. I would always rather see it flipped where the inward motivation comes first and the law itself that's what the law serves. Sabbath is not about purity codes, 
but about disengaging from certain ways of life, not because they're evil or vile or wrong, but because when we can disengage from certain forms of life, such as these little creatures over here, we recognize what it is to re-engage, to reorient to a different, deeper, more creative form of being. Now, Jesus, who was a truly radical Jew, he understood this. See, a long time ago in one of the gospel stories, he was going out and doing something that you were not supposed to do on the Sabbath. He was healing. And by the way, I don't take those stories literally. All those healing stories are about people recognizing their innate wholeness in the context of their brokenness. That's what their healing stories are about. They're not to be taken literally. Well, he was going out on the Sabbath and healing. And the biblical literalists of his day, the religious authorities said, no, you should not do this. And throwing down a whammo, liberal religious gauntlet, he says basically this. Were we made as human beings for the Sabbath or was the Sabbath made for us? See, if the Sabbath is made for us, then what matters most is the intention behind the act and not observing some kind of code to keep in good with the religious authorities. Sabbath, any form of it, Jewish or otherwise, is an invitation at its deepest level to experience intimacy with the universe. It is an invitation to get back in touch with conscious contact to what we might ignore. You see, Jesus used very intimate terms for how we referred to the divine. He personified his experience and understanding of God. That's not how I refer to God, but still the intimacy is what I respect. Because I think what Jesus was pointing at is that to get back in touch with that creative energy that is a part of each and belonging to all, that is what Sabbath is really about. It is an invitation to get close to life, to move away from those barriers and those borders that we put up between ourselves and life when we want to assume that we have everything locked down and in control. That is not Sabbath living. In our own tradition, William Ellery Channing, in one of the most famous Unitarian sermons of the 1800s put it this way he said that each of us are born with a likeness to God that is part of our original mind that we have within us the capacity for wholeness and peace and to pay attention to who we are and to grow in those ways now this was radically distinct from the more traditional teaching of the time probably most exemplified by the most famous sermon of that time Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God. That we were so lowly and so awful that the image I almost have from sinners in the hands of an angry God, that we're sort of dangling over the pit because we are just born to be damned. And it's almost as if the divine flick of the finger would just get us off this bare string that we're hanging on to and we would go down into the flames likeness to god says something very different which is that we are born with the capacity for wholeness and peace and goodness ralph waldo emerson in just another generation after channing used different theological language to explain it but made the same point he said which of us which one of us would not have wouldn't wish to have an original relationship to the universe. Saying that wholeness and peace, the sacred story, is not long ago and far away. It is right here 
and right now in our midst if we will choose to cultivate that way of awakening and being. We talk about it in one of our core beliefs here at Wellsprings that the burning bush is blazing everywhere. It's not a long ago story. It's not a faraway symbol. That light, this light, these lights are here in our midst if we choose to perceive them. That's what a Sabbath is about. It's about putting ourselves in relationship with the still unformed edge of our lives to admit that our lives are still unfolding and unfinished and that this is wonderful news because creation is not long ago and far away. It is right here and right now. If we will sometimes disorient ourselves from the typical form of our lives to re-engage in a form of life that is always waiting for us more conscious contact with creation itself. Now, as many of you know, but not all of you, I am taking sabbatical for the month of October. Sabbatical, Sabbath. Same root word. Now, I do not take the sabbatical because I am so tired with my ministry, I cannot walk a further step forward in it. That's not the case. This ministry is not a burden, it is a blessing. And one of the signature blessings that I have ever experienced in my life, and at the same time, I must admit, that save for a week here or a week there, in the last six years, and next to my relationship with my wife, and my relationship with the God of my experience and understanding, Wellsprings has been pretty much the constant for these last six years and two months. Simply put, it is time for me to disengage. It is time for me to step away for just a month, not very long. It is time for me to experience something that I remember from the 80s. Remember this? Remember David Byrne in his big oversized suit? That Jonathan Demi film, Stop Making Sense, that really cool, surreal Music, extended music video of a film, stop making sense. That's what I am taking sabbatical for. I want to stop making sense to make better sense. As much as I love this ministry, and I do, it is still a persona and still is not all of me. I need to loosen the mask a little bit. Get back in touch with what is underneath it and behind it and what is within me unfolding and still changing and very much unfinished. See, I don't want to change the view I have of Wellsprings. I don't necessarily want to change the view of my life. I love my life. It's not about changing the view. It is about changing the viewer so I can perceive more. In my life, it's rarely, I think, in our lives about changing the view. Sometimes it is, but I think the most profound change is about affecting the quality of the way that we see the world. Not the view, but altering the viewer. And so that's what I'm doing as I go into this month. I'm taking pilgrimage, both internal and external. Part of that pilgrimage is continuing something that I have started this past week, which is training to become a mindfulness teacher a mindfulness instructor, to cultivate more of those arts of paying attention and paying deep awareness to my life. And so through that, to spot the wholeness 
in a deeper way in other people as well. Now, the training started this past week, and at first it was just the eight of us who are training to be teachers. Now, as part of our training, we will be sitting in in the morning over the next 10 weeks, a larger foundational beginner's course, if you will, in mindfulness-based stress reduction. And our teacher this past week says, I will let that larger group know that there are some people who are training to become mindfulness teachers here. But please, don't do this one thing. Please promise me don't do this one thing. Don't get in that room, and the minute you start to introduce yourself, tell them what you do for a living. Don't tell them that you're here to be a trainer. Because the minute... We would do that. We would objectify the other person's experience, and we cannot truly learn in that way because they will start to say, ooh, this person is my teacher. They have things to teach me. That's not the relationship we're after. And I got to tell you, and I heard this from my mindfulness instructor this past week heading into my sabbatical. You mean I'm actually prohibited from telling someone in this larger group that I'm a minister? Hallelujah. (laughs) Thank God. I want to let that mask drop, put it down, and just see what's in back of it, because there is so much. That is part of my internal pilgrimage over the next month. There's an external pilgrimage, an outside pilgrimage, if you will. As some of you know, I'm doing Outward Bound, eight days in the North Carolina mountains. Simply put, I am not an outdoorsman. Look at me. I'm not. I mean, the last time my parents took me camping, like really camping, not like going to camp and sleeping in the bunkhouse, camping, camping, tents and sleeping bags and all that stuff. I was four years old. And the minute we arrived there, I mean, like probably a couple hundred miles west of here, my fever, I was sort of a cough and a cold, my fever when we got there sparked up to 104 and my parents panicked because they thought something was seriously wrong. And by the time the two hour drive back was over, I was cool as a cucumber. (laughs) As if I was saying with my very being to my parents, I don't belong here. I don't want to be here. So perhaps it's taken me 37 years in the interim to recognize that now outside, outdoors, outward bound is where I choose to be. And I got to tell you, some of the kids in the congregation have actually schooled me some this this past week. I was talking to some who had done an outward bound experience, hiking and climbing and some of the similar things that I'm going to be doing from the 8th to the 15th of October. And I asked them questions like, you know, how do you keep clean and, and, and you know... Brush your teeth and, you know, all these grooming things. Come on here. You know, I'm well-groomed. But really what I wanted to ask is, um, what about pooping? <laughs> and, come on, that kid's book, Everybody Poops, it's true. Me too. You too. I wanted to know, how does it happen? And so I got really good instruction from a couple of our kids about, you know, what do you got to do? And one of our kids told me, One of our kids told me that, um, you know, when you're, shall we say, squatting, uh, look behind you first in in the hole that you dig, but make sure there are not a big pile of leaves right there because you got to watch out for timber rattlers. (laughs) Now, the only thing that Indiana Jones and I have in common is a mortifying fear of snakes. But... That's why the outward pilgrimage is an inward pilgrimage, because I'm actually going to end my month on retreat with Pema Chodron. 
the beautiful and insightful Buddhist nun. And some of you might know one of her most famous books is The Places That Scare You. Bring it on, sabbatical. That's why every true outward pilgrimage is simultaneously a pilgrimage inward as well, too. So I'm going to encounter the places that scare me and the places that enthrall me and probably the places that bore me as well, too. I just want to be open to it and to stop immediately making sense of everything that's on my plate. So that's October for me. What about the October here at Wellsprings? The next five Sundays and the weeks in between those five Sundays, the 31 days of October. I promise you this, that except for my absence, not that much will be different. All the strength of Wellsprings stays here. And when I say here, I mean that intentionally because there is something of a closest thing to a Wellsprings dirty little secret that I want to share with you right now, which is that we've had four and a half years of doing this Sunday to Sunday, and I'm here most Sundays. And when I'm not here preaching, our attendance drops. Sometimes 20%, sometimes 30%, sometimes precipitously all the way down to 50% of what it normally is. So please, do not take the next month off. You will be missing so much of what makes this community powerful and charged full with the charge of the soul and is so bigger and so much deeper than just me alone. Our springboards, our small groups, our youth spirit, our music as you heard today, our worship services, our preachers, our service leaders... So much of it is about the essence of a meaningful spiritual life, about creativity and love and death and spiritual practice and about the meaning of our heritage in things and people like Channing and Emerson and asking ourselves, what do they speak to us today about living a more intentional, meaningful life? All these essential intentions of Wellsprings are here even when I am not and invite you, have the same view, but come in and change and deepen your viewpoint. Get engaged and change the viewer in some powerful ways. I feel like this next month here at Wellsprings, although I'm not going to be here to witness it at all, I'm gone. It's like that old ragu commercial. Remember? It's in there. It's in there. Well, it's in here, and it is within you, but only if you're here, only if you choose to share your blessed presence with each other at Wellsprings. And I got to tell you, it's not just about me not being here. It is also recognizing that whenever a leader in community takes leave of that community, there are opportunities for change. There are opportunities for growth that I am certain in some ways my presence has inhibited. Not because I don't love Wellsprings, but because I have occupied such a central space. The strength of this congregation carries beyond me and is going to be expressed in different ways. 
and some changes, and yes, even some improvements. I will guarantee you that in the next month, and this may be you, or it may be someone you know well, or it may be someone you don't know at all, and it may be someone who hasn't even set foot in Wellsprings yet, someone will come into this congregation over the next month with the trap door underneath their feet opening up, and they will come in hurt, they will come in in need of the kind of healing that only spiritual presence can bring. Only if, only if we are here and you are here to greet that person who is in need. In the next month, there will be someone in this congregation, and chances are it might be one of you, who would reach out and call me first when you're in need. But from October 1st to October 31st, I am not on the other end of that line. And because of that, you will reach out and make a new connection with another one of you. But only if you're here. Only if you're here will all those connections happen. Only if you are here will Wellsprings continue to be as strong as it truly is and can be. Only if you are here, and I'd like to hear you say, I am here. Say it with me. I am here. That is not convincing to me at all. I am here. Better. I like things in threes, however. I am here. Great. Well, you know, it's not about me anyway, because I'm not going to be here. So you just made a promise to yourselves. You can hold each other accountable on that. I am not there to enforce that one at all. Only if you are here. Only if. Please be there for each other. Years ago, a guy named Henri Nouwen, who was a very uh, progressive Catholic priest, and changed forever the nature of how we think about spiritual leaders with a book called The Wounded Healer. He said, too often, leadership, even with religious professionals, is all about the mask of competency and confidence and invulnerability and I got it all taken care of but that's a lie no person always has it all taken care of no person is always locked down and in control and if they are chances are that they will soon do damage to another person and themselves father now and encourage spiritual leaders which is to say encouraging all of us to get in touch with the fact that each of us know what brokenness is And indeed, to pay attention to some of our wounds is also to touch the source of our greatest strength, our greatest compassion, and our greatest resource for true healing, to be wounded healers. Now, he walked into his time of sabbatical many years ago. This was the 60s or the 70s. Not where I am. He walked into sabbatical absolutely burnt out, (laughs) absolutely fried, needing to get away or fearing he might lose his soul if he was staying in the position he was. And so he went to a place that not a lot of uh, people who taught at Harvard and Yale and University of Chicago like Father Nowen did for most of his career. He went to a place that you wouldn't associate as a teaching tool for an academic like himself. He went to the circus. Over and over again, he found himself going to the circus. And there was a small group of people that he found himself drawn to at the circus. The acrobats. 
the trapeze artist. You see, because at a time in his life in which he was painfully disoriented, he needed a more profound orientation that he could find in the usual course and shape of his life. He found in the trapeze artist the perfect example of that delicate balance of life at its best. Needing to hold on for dear life, as one of my mentors in ministry, Forest Church, said. And also needing to let go for dear life at the same time as well. He said the strength and the grace of the trapeze artists was not that they were incredibly physically strong, although that was part of it. And it was not that they had the right equipment, although that was part of it. He said the signature strength that the trapeze artists have is trust. Think about it. What would compel you to be spinning in midair and to let go to the only tether that you know about? Think about how the body would resist that and how we have to train ourselves over and over again to say, okay, I can let go and someone will catch me. It is trust that makes both meaningful disorientation and that reorientation back into life and Sabbath itself possible. What makes them fly through the air with the greatest of ease What makes us, helps us, maybe not fly, but at least walk through our lives with at least a relative degree of ease, it is trust. It is trust of you that I'm walking away for a little bit. It is trust in what we have all built here is why I say goodbye for a month. Over the next month, I wish you trust. Trust to move into that place of being a wounded healer. Trust to move into that place of coming here and reaching out to the people you don't know well yet, because sometimes that is going to include your actual life. Trust that you will know what it is in your life to meaningfully let go and to hold on and to learn that art one step And one breath at a time. I wish for you the deepest trust. That you are here. And you know that you are never alone. And I trust you. Amen. And may you live in blessing. Let's pray together. Great spirit of holding on and letting go of disorientation and orientation and the invitation to both that is a Sabbath. May we have that artful ability of scratching the surface of our lives, not being afraid of what we find there, and even if we are afraid to admit still, we will open the doors of our perception. We will be willing to change the viewer so that the view itself can take on the visage of beauty and grace and justice and compassion. God, I pray to you this final prayer that these people will be kept safe over the next month. 
They are beloved to me. Amen.